0: Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, today I'm recording from a newly uh, provisioned room in my home where I've got U-Haul blankets up and I've got lights and green screens and doing the streaming thing, my friend.
1: You're getting, you're getting a little video studio these days.
0: I am. I am. I want to uh, talk about this a little bit and better know a framework. But before we do that, what are you up to, my friend?
1: I have been recording two run as a week, uh, all in starting in May, and where this is publishing in May. We are um, doing a, a Friday episode, which is sp- specifically on topics for IT pros around pandemic issues. So, scaling VPNs, r- r- work from home issues, helping your employees with Wi Fi, all, all of those kinds of subject materials. That's great. So much demand. There is so much demand, it's true. So it's been uh it's been a whirlwind and I'm enjoying myself. I mean it, these are tough topics, but at the same time it's interesting to just dig into the creative ways that folks have been solving problems. I had a great conversation with an IT fellow who was RDPing into or not RDP but using one of the remote control services to get into his employee's machine so that he could configure his Wi-Fi access point because it had quality of service settings so that he could turn down the Netflix and turn up the, the, uh, the, the video chat stuff.
0: And this is indicative of the kind of problems we're dealing with now. Yeah. I mean, IT people have always been able to fix their own home problems, but, and they've always been able to, uh, you know, go to somebody's office and fix something,
1: but now you can't do that. Yeah. Cause you have control of the network. No, not so much. But you're, I've also talked to folks where they're shipping my out, just a little, the little, uh, um why um yep. cellular modems just because it's simpler than trying to fix those things like you guys strong cell signal there let me send you one of these it's just for work and that way that yep. machine is is fine but yeah you're finding out what people have at home and how to keep them productive and it's uh, it's been interesting for the most part what i'm finding is these were all projects that were on the to-do list but they were tertiary mm-hmm. and now they're primary now they're like we need to get this working
0: now i had a problem where I was uh go ahead. I was recording and doing a stream and a conference or whatever. And then I picked up my phone. And when I turned on my phone, like the, the Wi-Fi it wasn't even Wi-Fi. It's just a network hiccuped. Like I'm wow. I have a hardwired network here. But it all everything just stopped for a couple of seconds and then came back. So but
1: I have no idea what that is, but I'm able to replicate it over and over again. Something that you're when your phone fires up. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: It isn't. Is it on the
1: is it on the wi- is the phone on the Wi-Fi when you do that? The phone is on the Wi-Fi, yes, but, but cell the phone is
0: yes, but the the com- and the computers are plugged into the Wi-Fi router that is also acting as yeah. a, a hub, right?
1: So Who knows? I I, I would wonder if you shut off the Wi Fi on the phone before you turned on the cell on the phone, if it would be different.
0: Yeah, I I imagine it is the Wi Fi because there's no other connection to the network. And the only other thing, it would be interference.
1: It's that, or there's an incredible. I mean, if it's an iPhone, it may be emitting a a Steve Jobsian electromagnetic pulse that's wrecking the whole network (laughs) temporarily. But, you know, (laughs) I'm just guessing. But I can go to dark places if you ask me. I know how.
0: Well, uh we're glad you're here and uh, we're here for you and let's roll the crazy music and I've got something I've been working on for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right,
1: dude, what do you got? Have we talked about VMix on the show? You and I have I don't think we've talked about it on the show, and you have poured a ton of energy
0: into it. I have. So a lot of people are using OBS for streaming, heck, for sure. A lot of people are just using Zoom. A lot of people, you know, and Skype, and and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you, if you want to do something other than just broadcast your webcam or desktop, you need some sort of production software, right. and that's where f- tools like OBS and VMix come in. And a lot, of Jeff's Jeff Fritz turned me on to OBS, Open Broadcast mm-hmm. Software. It, it's think of it as a, an app that goes between your webcam and a whole bunch of other inputs and your streaming output. It could be Zoom, could be whatever, right? Yeah. But OBS is is open source and there is a commercial product called vMix that is like OBS on steroids. And this product does uh is what we're using right now actually to record these calls because mm-hmm. It'll do the mix minus when you get multiple callers calling in. Right. Not just audio, but video. And that has been, isn't Richard, uh, suffice to say, that has been the technical thorn in our side the whole time we've been for, recording .NET for Rocks, right?
1: decades, right? I mean, that has been the, ma- if there's anything we ever figured out that people were like, why does your show sound so good? It's like, we figured out mix minus a long time ago with a bunch right. of different hardware. Remember the Telos One Plus One? Holy man. Yeah. The Telos One
0: and the Telos One Plus One were was a way to – a phone hybrid to get telephones uh, lines in and only record – yeah, only record what you hear and then Mm -hmm. only send to them – send them everything except themselves. Right. And so, doing this manually is a real nightmare, especially with Zoom. We've had to use multi-track – uh, recording audio interfaces, where we have the output of one patched into the input, another input, and do crazy routing, and that works sometimes. And then we've had separate machines and get the inputs of one from the outputs. It's just a nightmare. So anyway, vMix does this automatically. But it also does a lot of great things on the video side and for visual production as well. And I jumped into it full force, and I mm-hmm. actually f- started finding sort of gaps in things that I wanted it to do that it wasn't doing. But it it has an API, and the API is fairly easy to use. It, it's actually built in .NET. Huh. It's a .NET 3.5 application. Uh, it's clearly a WPF and Windows Forms application. And uh, the API is vb.net. The script, the scripting is vb.net, but they also have a web API, but essentially they're just listening to like a 127.001, uh, port, a special port, and you can just send get requests with all the parameters on the string and things will happen. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. I figured out, I basically figured out how to build a system that uses signal R so that a remote caller or a remote presenter, can control aspects of vMix, can switch scenes and um, change countdown timers and just do a whole bunch of things and automate that. So I started offering um, production services, everything from consulting on vMix and what have you, even before that, consulting on how to set up a green screen, how to light it, how to do all that kind of stuff, audio you know, microphones and headphones that work well. And then also going all the way towards, um, hey, you know, I can run your conference for you or your online meeting. And so I've actually got a couple of customers that I'm doing that for now. Everybody's fantastically uh into it. I've got uh designers and artists that I'm working with to create virtual sets so we can customize things. Uh, let's just suffice to say, I'm having a ball. That's fun. <laughs> and if you want to watch a five-minute video that sort of shows you the possibilities, go to pwopstream.com, p-w-o-p-stream.com. That's all I got to say
1: about that. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off show, 1672, the one we did in January of 2020, you know, the before times. Right. And we were talking <laughs> to Brian Lagunas about client-side development in 2020. I, I had oh, a yeah. I had a plan you know, for our year about, hey, it's a new decade, what are we thinking about? How are things going to go forward and so forth? Been a little distracted mm-hmm. the past few months, but uh, yep. you know, this was part of that plan. And we had a great conversation, right? Talking, I mean, WinForm's still out there doing its thing, yep. making making people money, you know, making work. WPF Populous Ever UWP, that's we should talk about that. Xamarin yep. Forms, we talked about Prism, all great conversations. And uh yeah. and Mike Warrenis said, uh, this is just a few months ago. I love this show, as I do all your shows, mostly. Uh, Brian is professionally (laughs) honest about the approach Xamarin are taking. I'm a great advocate of what Xamarin and Microsoft have done to bring cross-platform development to C Sharp. But I do agree with Brian's comments about shell being problematic because it is another layer of abstraction on an already complicated navigation structure. So, yeah, you know, they... That's the challenge of, of Xamarin forms. Is you're trying to make it simpler to code in exchange for you have to jump through these hoops. Right. It is most welcome food for thought to hear someone outside of the Microsoft Xamarin bubble, I be it in an Infogistics one perhaps, yeah, because that's Brian. Yep. Uh, presenting an alternative perspective and a route into Xamarin development, and that's why your show rocks. Uh, always worth listening to because you're constantly showcasing alternative approaches which keep development fresh and fen- this fantastic ecosystem vibrant and interesting. Thanks. Hmm. Well, just wait, Mike, because we're going to talk a whole lot of Uno today. (laughs) Yeah, we are. More alternatives. So, Mike, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or any of the social media as well. We publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich
0: Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. I have one card left. (laughs) Uh, okay, if you didn't get that uh, reference, then yeah, stick around. Uh, we're talking Uno here, but let me com- uh, let me officially introduce Kenzie Whalen from Carrots to Code. Mackenzie Whalen went from farming to programming, utilizing only free resources available to her online. Since beginning her career as a developer, Kenzie has worked mainly with mobile development and now speaks at developer conferences around the world about cross-platform tools like Uno and Xamarin. She currently works for a fully remote digital agency called Infinity Interactive, where she gets to expand her toolbox by using a diverse range of languages and frameworks to build dynamic websites and mobile apps. Welcome, Mackenzie.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Do you prefer Mackenzie or Kenzie?
2: I usually go by Kenzie. All right. Yeah, I grew up with the name Mackenzie, and I was tall, so um, some kids started calling me, you know, Big Mac. And that's not really how every little girl wants to be referred to. So, um, from then on, it became Kenzie. <laughs> it's all right. Took the math. clearly over good it. Good call. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. I mean, they picked on me anyway, but not a l- whole lot of uh, vulgarities rhyme with Carl. <laughs> <laughs> They're, you know, on the playground, like, Carl, d- snarl. <laughs> good, one. <laughs> good one. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, good one. And I was good with explosives, so people left me alone. <laughs> you just set them on fire. There's much problem. <laughs> problem. Things that mysteriously go bang that you did not expect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm fine. Oh, fun. my, my.
0: Okay, where do we start? Let's uh, – we haven't talked about Uno in a while, um, yeah.
1: obviously. Should we start Brian, with the but... UWP question? Because that's what we haven't talked about for a while. It's like, what is – McKenzie, in your point of view, like, what's the state of UWP right now?
2: I think EWP is uh kind of morphing mm-hmm. like a lot of different you know technologies either you pivot or die off. Um I think it's pivoting.
1: Yeah, yeah evolve or die.
2: With um a lot of help from Uno, I would say, to expand mm-hmm. into larger platforms because now it's so prevalent for developers not to just develop for one platform or develop natively for one system, but to develop for a large range of systems and you know being able to develop um and deploy to multiple places for users is becoming the standard and uno is allowing people to do that through using uwp so i think mm-hmm. that's kind of the future of it
1: so they're putting it's the funny. u in uwp
2: that's right
0: <laughs> what do you think uh, uh as far as using uwp for windows applications is that pretty much uh, passe now
2: um it's hard to say i would i would say that using only UWP. Might be difficult now outside of like large enterprise applications i think users are expecting to be able to use their products or their favorite apps all over and not just on mm-hmm. windows or not just on their phone
0: right. so i
2: think developing for a single platform is starting to become kind of old school if
0: that makes well sense. i mean yeah. if if i was going to develop a windows application today i'd probably use wpf just because of the the full power you know, the, is is UWP still limited relative to WPF? I mean, I didn't even know if you know the answer to this question, but I, I would use WPF.
2: Um, I've actually never used WPF.
0: You're probably better off.
2: The UWP API is pretty developed, so I don't think. Yeah, you're limited when using UWP.
0: Interesting. So UWP Xamarin Uno, how do these things work together?
2: Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. But um, you know, Uno takes your a shared code base. Um, for people who don't aren't familiar with Uno really quick, you use a single shared code base written in C sharp and XAML and deploy mm-hmm. to UWP of course, iOS, Android, and WebAssembly. Uno uses the UWP API to deploy to UWP, so it's just native, that's all like standard. Mm-hmm. And then they use Xamarin to deploy to iOS and Android. Not Xamarin forms, it's just Xamarin. And so it's interesting because they're you know bridging these technologies and allowing um, people to deploy to multiple platforms without learning a new framework, learning a new language, learning new tools, stuff like that.
1: Right. And I think it's what most people want, right? Is They want to write the code once, run it on the desktops at the office, and run it on the phones that the that the employees use. Thinking, of course, totally putting my enterprise architect hat on.
2: Absolutely. And I think it's not to say that you're going to write it one time and never touch specific platforms. It's all going to be perfect right away.
1: Don't burst my bubble. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I was living in a happy land for a minute there, Kenzie. Right once run everywhere. <laughs> what what could go
0: wrong? Well, it seems like there's more and more technologies heading that way, right? I'm thinking these are mobile bindings, you've got Xamarin, you've got Uno. And uh I guess let, what are the major differences between, you know, why would I choose Uno rather than just writing in Xamarin?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a, you know, different situation more so than Uno is building on top of Xamarin. So if you're building just for iOS and Android and you're familiar with Xamarin.Form XAML, then that would probably be your easiest choice. But Uno allows you to take your iOS and Android apps and also deploy WebAssembly and UWP and use UWP XAML. And you can use things like Blend and Sharp And it's more of a, a bridge with all these different tools rather than like a comparison to existing mm. cross-platform tools, mm. if that makes sense. At least that's how I see it from a developer standpoint. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So it seems like it's a happy place between them. So you can go more places than just iOS and Android. In fact, you said the magic W word for me ding, 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 you know, (laughs) WebAssembly, but also Windows. So if you're, if you're, you want to build an application that goes everywhere, then that is an option.
2: Right. Exactly. And it's using all your familiar technology. So for Microsoft developers like C Sharp and XAML, Visual Studio, stuff you know, you're familiar with, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just kind of using standard known technology to do new things. So I think that's pretty cool.
1: Sure. But if you're running, if you're a C-sharp XAML and you're running it through WebAssembly, have, have they basically reinvented Silverlight at this point?
2: <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It's interesting how they do it with WebAssembly. They use a in-house created bootstrapper and the model right. runtime. And I think that's really fascinating too. Because WebAssembly is a really interesting... <laughs> Piece of technology, and I think mm-hmm, it's growing sure. so much with Blazer, uh, Carl. I'm sure you can speak more to that. Oh yeah. And I think people are starting to see the benefits of being able to deploy the web without using JavaScript.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why people don't want to use JavaScript. It's such an amazing, productive <laughs> language. I don't. Easy. I just don't get <laughs> it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, your facetious is showing. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but you know, the bugbear in the room here is, so how much shared code are we talking about? I mean, I love the idea that I have one project that then deploys to Windows, to iOS, to Android. That That's pretty cool. But how, what commonalities do I have? Like, what do I got to do to make it work on all those platforms well?
0: Yeah, especially in the UI.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what's interesting about the UI is you can use the native UI for UWP, or you can use your custom UI for each different button or text block. You can have native and custom on the same page if you really wanted to. Don't recommend that. It would look a little weird. Yeah, being able to customize it that way. But theoretically and functionally, you can use just the shared code base and it'll work. Users expect certain things to work certain ways on different platforms. So the benefit is that you can still go in and tweak here and there. And just like the Xamarin Forms apps, most of the time you're doing a little bit of tweaking. Depends on the platform you're using, if I were to generalize it, I'd probably say around um, 80 to 90% shared code,
1: mm-hmm.
2: 10 to 20% tweaking.
1: Wow. Okay. Because And you're saying you can use all of the UWP native controls on all of these platforms? Because there's like 50 of them, aren't there?
2: That's right. Yeah. Um, the entire UWP API has not been implemented. Um, they're working on it, but it's, it's a lot of stuff. Okay. Right. But the benefit of that too is that it's open sourced. So people have been Contributing, and if they run into a situation where there's a tool they wanted to use, they can just go in and implement it, and then they can use it. <laughs> you know, that's the benefit of open source. Yeah.
1: Nice. Well, and because the source controls, the UWP controls, they're not open source. That's right. So they've actually just been recreating the Windows control. Um,
2: that's right. They're using the. I believe they're using the just UWP API and grabbing from there. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And then open sourcing their implementation.
1: I'm just thinking about how you would make that work on iOS, right? Yeah. Because you you use the UWP calendar view. How does that show up in iOS? Unless they've actually made an implementation for iOS.
2: Right. And that's what they they do. They implement it um, for each platform specifically. So underneath, you'll see all this platform-specific code. But when you use it, you're only using UWP in the shared project.
1: Right. And I can also imagine there's a bunch of controls here that are very Windows specific and, and very large screen specific that would not make sense on a phone.
2: Right. And that's why I say you're going to need to go and do tweaking if you're going to, if you want your app to look like a native app.
0: Right. We also have to mention, and I know probably won't go into details here, but there is another option looming on the horizon, which is the, uh, Blazor mobile bindings that are experimental right now and uh, web window integration so web window for for desktop operating systems is sort of um uh, steve sanderson did a nice blog post we'll link to it where he, he did a very small footprint uh native desktop application from uh, a web assembly you know blazer project and then these native mobile bindings are a way that you can use Xamarin Uh, forms XAML, uh, to do the UI, but with the Blazor component model behind it. So you can reuse your Blazor components, uh, code and, you know, just build out different XAML, um, for the, for the, for the UI. But that isn't quite baked yet. But I, did, I just did want to throw that out there as, you know, another solution to the right once go everywhere pro- uh, problem or, you know, desire that's looming on the horizon. Yeah,
2: actually, when Blazor announced that, the mobile bindings, Uno took that and in a day, they <laughs> um, built some functionality so that you could take Blazor mobile bindings and convert them to Xamarin.Form XAML, which Uno then converts mm-hmm. to C Sharp, and you can run the Blazor mobile bindings on an Uno app. Nice. Don't know why you would, but (laughs) you can.
1: Yeah. But it's like, if you're you're going down the mobile bindings path, it's like, hey, this also works here. Right.
2: Right. And that's what I think the whole industry is moving towards these cross-platform tools because, you know, people need to be able to build apps quicker to all these different places. Like, you can't, or you can just build natively, but it takes a long time and it takes a team of people who know different languages and frameworks and it becomes difficult. Yep. Yeah, but I think Uno's approach to it is pretty neat. The way they set it up, it's pretty easy to implement lots of new technology into it. And so when, when new things come out, you can continue to use Uno to build on top of it, more so than competing against it.
0: Nice. So Uno is is sitting on top of Xamarin, right, when you're talking about iOS and Android devices? Yes, that's right. Right. So you get all the benefits of using Xamarin's... Uh, they've uh, sort of abstracted away the hardware layer of all of these phones and devices so that you can use stuff like the accelerometer and all the sensors with one syntax for both and you can utilize that in UNO as well, I take it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you use UDP XAML you uh, UNO versus XAML form um, XAML. Yeah, okay. But yeah, it's it's interesting how it builds on top of everything
1: else. It does kill me how many flavors of XAML we still have for all the <laughs> yeah, that's to a uh, right. XAML. <laughs> Like, I, I, it's sad that you have to say that, and we all know what you mean, right? It's like, oh, you're right, yes, so many flavors. <laughs> at least
0: XAML, the acronym doesn't have an S. Standard, you know, <laughs> how many yeah. acronyms that include an S for standard have actually been so segmented and fragmented over the years? I'm looking at you, Scuzzy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason we gave up on SCSI. Eventually, it killed us. <laughs> Nobody needs that many Terminators in their life. <laughs> yeah, uh, some standard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah. The fact is you have to sort of pick a flavor of XAML you're comfortable with. I, know, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Kenzie. Are you, do you skip between ver- flavors of XAML without a whole lot of trouble, or is there one you prefer?
2: Um, so, I started uh, with Xamarin, and so I started with Xamarin Form XAML. Um which is, I think, pretty uncommon. I think a lot of people start with, uh, UDP or WPF XAML. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was familiar with that first. And now I obviously have learned UDP XAML for Uno, but I don't, I don't know if I have a preference. I think both have benefits of it. Um, I, mm-hmm. I appreciate the the brevity of Xamarin Xamarin.Form XAML, but UDP XAML has a lot more to, not a lot more, but it has more to offer, I think, as far as features, so.
1: Well, it was built for a different reason, too. In some ways, I think you've got a huge advantage having come from this from uh, Xamarin. Mm-hmm. Form XAML because you're used to the smallest set, essentially, that works everywhere. Like, I would almost argue your instincts are the set of tools that doesn't matter what platform it is, it'll probably work.
2: right. So, yeah, that is absolutely a benefit.
1: You know, as opposed to if you're coming at it from a Windows WPF, that kind of thing, you're used to certain things. It's just like Xamarin like, no, sorry. (laughs) And uh, guys, hold that thought right here while we pause for this very
0: important message. Hey, it's Carl and Richard here to tell you that all of the NDC conferences this year are going online. You can still attend the workshops and sessions, but from the comfort of your own home. Here's what's coming up. NDC Oslo is June 8th to 12th. So go to ndcoslo.com to register. NDC Minnesota will be September
1: 8th through the 11th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. NDC Sydney is October 12th to 16th.
0: Early bird discount for NDC Sydney ends
1: July 12th. So go to ndcsydney.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com.
0: All right. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richard Campbell. And that's Kenzie Whalen. We're talking about cross-platform mobile devices and, and uh, software with Uno. And Uno is her thing. I wanted to ask you, Kenzie, has there been a challenge that was too difficult for Uno to handle in your experience?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um- I haven't come across a situation where I haven't been able to work through a workaround. Mm.
0: Mm. Maybe what was the 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 challenge that uh, took the most time to work around?
2: Well, I was. This was kind of just like an experiment <laughs> situation for me, but you know, the carousel view in Zarin Forms is newer. The what? The carousel view.
0: Oh, the carousel view. Mm-hmm. Okay,
2: yeah. Um, and so I wanted to see if I could implement that with Uno, and so I had to do some tweaking. I'm blanking on the name of the control in UWP, but it's a similar movement and you have to change it to a horizontal and add some animations to it, but it works. It just takes a little bit
0: of configuration, but. You get there in any kind of platform, anything that's new. Right.
1: Yeah. Is it, yeah. I mean, the gesture of the carousel sort of swipe effect It's like, how do you provide proper re- behavior when you swipe like that?
2: right and that's something you know
1: because there is a swipe control in uwp right And that's sort of the metaphor of the carousel as you swipe and something is rotating
2: mm-hmm. that's right yeah and animations like that can be tricky especially when you're running them on different platforms but mm-hmm. i only use shared code so i didn't use any platform specific implementations of it and mm-hmm. it worked on all four platforms so that was pretty neat
1: nice yeah well i, I do th- I, I would think the biggest struggle you get into is if you're thinking about it i a windows uwp app that you're now trying to scale to phones right that when you build stuff mobile first going up to the desktop is trivial but when you build stuff out on the desktop and try and get on the phones you really have to rethink the ui most of the time
2: right and i think that's a difficult situation for anyone building cross-platform you know where you start so uno is considered UWP first so you build for UWP, and then you tweak for the other platforms yeah uh Personally, I like to keep a emulator up running constantly and be looking back and forth because if something doesn't work right away, I'd like to know and tweak as I go along.
1: It's so easy to go into a rabbit hole when you have a huge screen space, right? They, if, if you think through UX metaphors for mobile first, they will go to to, to a big screen anytime. Like it'll, you'll get there.
0: Mm-hmm. What uh, what's the story with emulators? You said you like to keep an emulator up, but is it possible to have, you know, an Android emulator, an iOS emulator, maybe an iPhone and an iPad emulator and see what it looks like on the desktop and in the browser, let's say, at the same time? Is that even possible?
2: Well, the way I do it with all four at once, not if you're trying to, like, see – live changes, like if you're trying to use hot reload from Xamarin, which you can use in Uno, which I think is awesome. You can't have all four running. You only can build to one project, but Mm -hmm. the way I do it is kind of hacky, but I um, run it in UWP. I have um, my local host browser up. I run the simulator for iOS, and then I have my phone plugged in, my Android phone, and use Visor to have that on my screen as well, so I can see all four running together.
1: Nice. That's clever. That's cool. Most, most mobile devs I've met are surrounded by hardware, which is my happy place. Like, I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah.
2: But- yeah, we have a wall in our office of devices, and we have um, Velcro tape on the back of the devices, and we just push them on the wall. And so when we need one of them, we just pull it off, use it, and then Velcro it back up so it doesn't take up desk space.
1: I like right. that. Right, and everybody knows when you do that. This is how you stop it from being a drawer of broken dreams, Carl. Velcro. A wall, a wall of Now it's the wall dreams. of broken dreams. And you have to rip each one down. All right, it That makes phone. the
0: sound that, that is so analogous <laughs> to what you're actually doing.
1: Tearing pieces of my soul off as I try and make this S8 work. I'm sorry. I might be a little bit better. Just give me a minute. I'm going to make a breath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I don't know if you've had this experience, Kenzie, but it's like, I got it to work great right in the emulator and then I fired it up on an actual phone and they are not the same.
2: No, I've never had that issue. Not once. <laughs> no, <huge. laughs>
1: no idea what I'm talking about. No, <laughs> no idea.
2: It always works.
1: <laughs> yeah. <It> always
2: works. <laughs> no, and it's cool now too, because I also have, sometimes for fun, I just pull up the Service Duo emulator too, because it runs Android. Mm-hmm. So you can... Deploy your Uno apps there too, as
1: well. Ooh, yeah, we've never talked about Surface Duo on the show before. That I I'm going. I want one just because it's ridiculous. But you know, yeah,
2: I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It,
2: yeah, it's one of those things, that, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I'm the I'm the history guy, right? There was a product that Microsoft's developing that was called the Courier, and they got it in 2009. They had it in prototype stage, like it. They were ready to go to manufacturing with it, and it got killed. And it was this, it was a two screen tablet that folded the way it was described as as a moleskin notebook, but digital
0: mm-hmm.
1: the next year, the iPad would come out, but they, they were wow. right there. It may not have been good enough. Like it might, you know, there's always this question of, uh, have you made it Apple Newton or an Apple iPhone? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know which one they actually made. I never got to see one, but the fact that JLR got that thing ready to production before they canned it is kind of brutal. And now, essentially, when I look at the duo, it's Courier like 10 years later. It's Courier with
0: a screen just for emojis. (laughs) Because,
1: yeah, it's It's good.
0: I have so many emojis, I can't scroll through them anymore.
1: (laughs) I want to see my own screen. (laughs) So, you've been playing with the API on this? Like, you can push your apps out and see what they would look like on a duo? Oh, yeah. That's cool.
2: You can. Download, yeah, it's just an SDK. Yeah, you can just have the emulator running and you can pull up any of your apps you've ever built. And it's really interesting because there are going to be some issues for a lot of people when this first comes out. Oh, yeah, I bet. Because, mm. yeah, the default is kind of like just put everything in the middle and the crease is in the middle.
1: Yeah, it's just like every dual, everybody who set up their first dual monitor rig you discovered in, in the old days of Windows that every dialogue popped up straddling the screens. <laughs> well, there are two models, right?
0: There's like a sort of a handheld model. And then there's more like a laptop model of the duo, right?
2: Yeah. There's the Neo, uh, which runs yeah. windows, windows 10 X. And then the duo, which runs Android.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Cause the duo is a real phone. Like it's an actual phone.
1: Two screen <laughs> phone. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's nice to see Microsoft getting back in the phone game.
1: While constantly saying, don't call it a phone. I just made a call on it. What else is it?
2: <laughs> don't call it a comeback. Uh- yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Jace. But it is interesting in in that that they have they flooded the market too. I mean, they announced this thing a year in advance. It was fall of 2019 for shipping in holiday 2020. And what do you think the chances are being late under the circumstances we're in?
2: Oh yeah, there's already some rumors going around. They're going to push the release. Yeah. But I think the big reason they you know announced it so early was because for developers this is an entirely new way to develop, like you need to right. account for really different situations. And they wanted to give developers some time so that they could have some dual screen compliant apps in the app store when they release, because if they don't have apps, but the same issue they ran in with the Windows phone, they didn't have the apps, right? and so people wouldn't use it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you're hitting on the key point, which is naturally you tend to just say center on the screen. And when it's two screens, that means straddling the seam so mm-hmm. writing your software so that it actually uses a using the better way to position itself
0: are there any other weird form factors like that that are you know not not quite standard that you have to think about when developing cross platform mobile device applications
2: for current mobile
0: yeah yeah devices? I, i'm not so concerned about stuff that's 10 years old but is there anything else that's more Current, that's mobile, that's has some sort of non-standard uh, setup like the Duo. Uh,
2: well, certain things like notifications are handled differently on different platforms and permissions and stuff like that. So understanding how the user is going to interact with those and understanding how they expect to interact with them is important. Mm-hmm. And so that's where kind of your platform-specific code, especially in Uno, would come in because iPhone users expect to interact with their phones differently than Android
1: users. Because there are a bunch of folding phones these days, right? There are, there are a batch of different folding phones these days.
2: There are, yeah, there's a few.
1: But I think most of them you have to use them unfolded.
2: Um, I haven't gotten a chance to use any yet, but I think it's becoming more of a trend. <laughs> I mm. think it could go two ways, honestly. One, you know, all developers have to start developing for dual-screen compatibility. Right. Because users expect them to. Or two, they don't develop and users can't use their apps on dual screen devices and don't use dual screen devices.
1: Right. Dual screen devices die. One thing that's coming
0: to mind is Samsung has a new foldable screen phone or something like that. Is there like a on roll up event
1: handler?
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> on unroll.
2: Developing for dual screen, there are some controls that you can use in Uno and Xamarin. Xamarin Forms also has some. And you can have access to properties like the hinge angle hmm. and stuff like that. So you can
1: know nice.
2: how the user is currently using the phone. Because that's the other thing, too, is that there's so many different positions the user could have the phone in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many different scenarios. So it's it's going to be interesting, I think.
1: It's not just folded and unfolded, Right. It's also are you right. in portrait configuration or are you in hor- uh, or are you in landscape configuration, where you might put a keyboard on the lower screen and a display on the upper screen like this there is a lot of things to think about now is it at Dev as we start getting weirder with these phones if if it had two webcams, you could use it as a as a sort of a makeup mirror.
2: <laughs> I suppose that is a use of it, yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> so why you wouldn't just get a makeup mirror? I don't know. Right. Yeah. You have to so see a expensive. Yeah,
2: the technology yeah. is there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> L- likelihood of breaking lower. Uh, there was an app once that took a picture with the selfie cam and the and the front and the and the back cam at the same time. It was called like front back or something. So it's like you took a picture of yourself and you took a picture of something and yourself while looking at something. Right.
2: Your reaction to it, of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, what, I did that with 360 cameras.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. This is what we invented technology for. This is why man <laughs> went to the moon, right?
0: And if you're if you're looking through the camera at uh, what's in back of you, you get the zoom just right. Your your phone could disappear. <laughs> all
1: right. That's not weird at all. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? It was that's Stanford doing Stephen those right pictures. Here. Yeah, yeah. They, they Didn't start Stanfield do a bunch of those pictures where he's holding his laptop in, in a background and the and the picture on the screen of the laptop was exactly set as if the laptop was transparent?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He that's took, a thing. He took a picture with him in the frame and with him out of the frame and then held a laptop up with a, you know, green screen or whatever and then just
1: superimposed. Yeah, cropped it in. Fun. Because people have, have that kind of time.
0: So... Uh, Let's talk about the state of deploying Android and iOS apps these days, because honestly, I haven't done it in a while. And, you know, it was painful back when I did it. Is it any easier now? It
2: depends. Apple has been doing a lot faster turnaround lately, Hmm. which is really nice so that you can get feedback on your app much, Mm -hmm. much faster than you speak a few weeks or Mm -hmm. up to a few weeks. And now it's like within 48 hours. And I, I don't know if there's been a big change in the Google Play Store. I think it's pretty standard. Recently, like very, very recently since pandemic time, I've noticed a little bit of delay. But that might be because, you know, the world is ending in front of our eyes. So (laughs) they have bigger things to do.
1: (laughs) Everything's going a little bit slower while we deal with some issues. (laughs) Right. I'm saying that the most positive way I can. (laughs) As opposed to, and civilization is collapsing around us. Film at 11 uh we're making we're making our way and a te- and technology seems to be saving the day too right like one way or the other clearly our priorities on software have changed somewhat yes
2: well yeah like you were saying earlier like it's just, this is kind of pushing some backburner ideas and backburner plans into the forefront yes my brother-in-law works for a um travel company he's a developer for or he's a vp for the travel company and mm-hmm. of course that whole industry is dead right now
1: on hold yeah
2: and so he's been wanting to do this um cool idea of virtual tours and virtual classes in Italy, learning how to make pasta, stuff like that. And they were able to do that now because they have to, to
0: survive. So it
2: was nice to see these companies pivoting into new ways of using technology. I think it's really interesting.
1: Yeah. I have done, I have hosted a couple of tours of aviation museums, Carl will not be surprised, uh, (laughs) via Zoom. because folks were promised things, you know, for the MVP summit and stuff. And so, uh, you know, and oddly enough, I can tell some stories about airplanes. So we, uh, it, it was really enjoyable, actually, because some of these museums have really great 360 camera tours where you can sort of walk around the museum and go to various exhibits. But the, yeah. the information is relatively limited. And then, you know, put it, throw a storyteller in there so I can like, look at this, look at this vehicle. Now go around the side, look at that inlet design. Let me talk about this inlet design for a minute. Why does this look like this? Right. And it's a, it's, I've always wanted like VR cameras for the Great Pyramid. Because going to the Great Pyramid is kind of a pain in the butt. But to be there and then to use VR effects where it's like, now I can be inside the King's Chamber. Now we could like shrink down to flea size and go up one of the ventilation to yeah. uh, uh, access mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. You could explore it in a way that you couldn't do in person.
2: Yeah. People are trying to do that a little bit too with even just like team meetings, you know, using VR to feel like you're actually in a team meeting or in a happy hour. I think that's pretty interesting.
0: One of the things that I do with vMix is, uh, I have a shot of an auditorium from, you know, the back. And there's a podium and there's a desk. And vMix has cameras, basically. So you click on a camera angle. It's not really an angle, but it's a frame. So you can zoom in on the podium, let's say. And it goes from the back and zooms in on it. And then you can zoom over to the table. And maybe there's a screen behind you or with a PowerPoint presentation. And you could, you know, let's say we have, you know, six... People on a panel, they all come in on different channels like you guys are now. And we can put them behind the table. And if you get the angle of the camera just right, you know, that you you tell them in advance, okay, you're sitting stage left in seat one, so your camera needs to be at a 35-degree angle from you looking straight ahead, and it needs to be out for six feet and then up four feet looking at you, right? So if you get everybody's – if you do the math – get everybody's camera angle right and get them looking at the right spot it actually looks like people looking at each other sitting around a table neat
2: interesting yeah
0: just takes a little more work to work with people who are going to be in the shot than your typical speaker at a conference is willing to tolerate (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'm uh i'm going to do my stem talks for the middle schoolers as i've done before but we're going to have to do it all remotely so i kind of need a green screen rig i really want to be able to walk around inside my slide mm. and talk to the talk to the kids while talking through stuff like space travel and and uh, automated vehicles and things like that yep uh, yep good stuff That's, that'd
2: be pretty cool yeah
1: It's fun to be a software person right now, isn't it? Like, I think for the most part, the people I've talked to, we're just busier. I don't know if that's true for you, Kenzie.
2: Oh, yeah. I think it's uh, busier in that sense and busier in answering family members' calls about how to connect to their Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Wi-Fi.
2: Everyone reaches out to the the techie in the family.
0: Then you have people like Mm -hmm. my mother, Mm -hmm. I say, do you want me to send you a webcam? She goes, ah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i don't need no webcam kind of thing no it's true not everybody's not everybody's on board i've also think that culturally because we live with such a high rate of change that the pandemic to us just feels like more change and mm. we're just trying to find a way to work with it yeah I, I think I, I don't i know I, I still get waves of existential threat every so often <laughs> but for the most part, it's like no, nah, we're just trying to solve the problem, work through the problem.
2: And I wonder too how much of this change is going to stick around after life goes back to whatever normal that's going to look like. Because yeah. you know sp- even in my experience, like my extended family, aunts and uncles and stuff, we've been doing a lot more Zoom calls lately. Mm-hmm. And you know that technology was available to us before, but we didn't typically use it to have these big family gatherings but now that it becomes such a norm Mm. we have been and it's been really nice to be able to connect with family in a different way than we used to
1: right absolutely yeah yeah i find a lot more cameras turned on now like we may have changed the tone of of online meetings that these cameras kind of expected today and people working Mm -hmm. hard to make those cameras look decent too like try and buy a webcam right now good luck Try to buy a green. Yeah, screen I, and and I wonder how
2: many companies will start adapting remote policies or partial remote policies because they realize that they could do it.
0: I've
1: already heard of a lot of this happening already. Yeah. Well, the bigger thing here is now that you have adapted, how are you going to take it away? Right. You know, it used right. to be, you know, in January, it was impossible for you to work at home. And now here we are in May and you've been working at home for a couple of months and me you know I definitely have talked to some places where it's like no oh, they got little kids at home and there's only so much room and it's like I'm really looking forward to get back to the office but there's a lot of folks that are not that way and they're like oh, I always wanted to work this way and now I've done it for a while and I'm figuring out how to be the productive cuz you still do have the stress of everything is different people are not as productive as they could as they ought to be but eventually They may not be willing to go back. Oh boy. I'm really looking forward to my hour commute.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think it shows that, you know, of course people aren't as productive as they would normally be. And that's absolutely okay. Mm -hmm. But I think it's showing companies that it's possible to do remote. Yeah. My company has been remote for a long time and it's nice to finally see other companies like adopting some policies that make it easier for employees to be flexible because I mean, I've loved working remote because it gives you a chance to, you can change the laundry over in the middle of the day or have lunch with a friend and it's easy and you don't have to interrupt your whole life. And it's easy to integrate your life into work more and doesn't feel like this rigid schedule anymore. Yeah. Which also comes with some precautions.
1: Yeah, for sure. But it's also tech. Tech tends to have that tendency where we kind of blend our work and our regular lives together. So in some ways, we've been more tolerant of this. So it's just interesting to see if other industries of other worlds are going to be OK with this.
0: I've seen some good tips online for people who are now working at home to sort of help them, uh, you know, by doing a morning ritual before you go to work, which might actually include getting in your car Go drive through, you know, whatever coffee place, get your coffee, come back and sit down in your office. Like you're actually physically making yourself get up and go out the door, you know, make yourself mm-hmm. a lunch, put it in a bag, right? Even or just get a bag. You don't even have to, you know, just so that, you know, ah, oh, it's lunchtime. Right. Just the little mm-hmm. a little ritualistic things that you can do to delineate between, okay, now I'm at work and now I'm at home. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Like some people put on like a full work outfit that, mm. you know, it's like a very professional outfit that you wouldn't normally wear at home. Right. Um, some people say they put, put on their shoes and they go into the office, you know, stuff like that. Nice.
1: I like that. But they don't wear pants.
2: Right. <laughs> shoes only. Yeah.
1: If wearing pants is good. I have talked to some folks who were, you know, normally their work is meetings, but because they're normally in an office, there's a break between each meeting because you transition from room to room and so forth. Mm-hmm. And now that you're on Zoom, you're scheduling them back to back and they're frying themselves. But they're realizing, I actually have to put a 10-minute gap between meetings for to clear my head just to, for sanity's sake. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, go get a cup of coffee or the, you know, the caffeinated beverage of your choice to break between each thing. Otherwise, all the meetings are, are garbled, essentially. You, you get too cooked. Yeah. Well, it's not all Uno all the time, but (laughs) it is uh, is the life we're leading right now.
0: This is very cool. So, uh, can you give us some Uno resources, Kenzie?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uno, their docs are on platform.uno. They have a really cool playground you can use, kind of similar to like a CodePen type thing where you can try out some XAML and C Sharp and see how it would run Hmm. uh, right in your screen, right in the browser. You can download their Visual Studio extension on their website, and then you can start running Uno apps in Visual Studio. It's super easy. Yeah, and they have their Twitter is very active. They have a lot of resources available, and their GitHub is, I think, just Uno, where you can see the open-source projects, some samples that you can run locally, so you can see what it looks like and stuff like
1: that. Awesome.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, Kenzie, thanks very much for uh, spending this hour with us. And, uh, you know, our shows tend to be... Um, mostly about the topic that we're talking about but we always want to talk about you know how people are coping in the in the time of coronavirus so i appreciate that discussion as well thank you
2: thank you i appreciate having me
0: all right we'll see you next time on dot net rocks